You're listening to the MoneyWeb SAFM Market Update Podcast. And we continue with our budget reflections. And I thought, what better way to get uh, reflections than to uh, have a bit of an interesting conversation. We've got three guests uh, that are now joining me on the line uh, all at the same time to reflect on the budget. And we will hopefully get as much reactions out of all three of them as we can. I'm joined on the line by Kaya Sutole, independent analyst, um, by uh, Sanisha Pakirisami, who is the economist at Momentum Investments, as well as by Professor Adrian Seville, who is a professor of economics, finance and strategy at the Gordon Institute for Business Science. Uh, good evening uh, to you gentlemen, as well as you too, ma'am. Uh, I'd like to start by thanking you for your time. And I suppose uh, let's begin with the reflections uh, from the, the budget speech. Uh, I'll start with, with you, Kaya. Uh, did the budget deliver? I mean, we had expectations. We had uh, a lot of numbers that were thrown out. Uh, Three billion rand from uh, some CARA account we haven't heard of and an additional 150 billion rand from the GFACRA account we were told we are not going to be touching. Um, did the budget deliver? Good afternoon and uh, good afternoon to listeners. I think the budget delivered quite a couple of surprises in the sense that when we heard about tapping into that account that most people didn't know existed and probably still don't understand why it exists, but it was obviously a, a, a new way of engaging with the question of how to balance public finances. And of course, the number sounds large, 150 billion rand does sound like a lot of money, but I think when you then want to really understand the granular details, 50 billion rand over three years, in relation to the public, uh, to the to the, to the uh, uh, commitments you already have, is not a lot of money. I mean, if you look at Eskom's balance sheet, for example, they owe over 400 billion rand. So even if you said we plug all of that into Eskom tomorrow, Eskom will still owe a quarter of a trillion rand. So it sounds like a big number, but its impact is probably not as great as we want it to be. What it does do is that it obviously means that at least in the immediate term, our reliance on borrowing new money in order to finance our patents won't be as high as it could have been. And that's a positive thing. And you would have seen that the market responded positively to that. But my fear and my anxiety is that it is really a small uh, part of a solution to a much bigger crisis. And we still haven't addressed the fundamentals that got us there. And what that simply means is that even if you said I'm giving you 150 billion rand worth of breathing space, if the reasons you ended up there, if the reasons you ended up drowning and in need of such innovative mechanisms are not addressed, it means that in two or three years' time, we'll be back to asking the question of, can we do it again? The problem is that it's not an unlimited pool of funds. And I think once you've opened the floodgates, politicians are always going to say, well, um, the reason you did it in 2024 were X, Y, Z. And the reasons in 2027 or 2028 are actually much worse than they were in 2024. So you must do it again. And I think, unfortunately, it does set the wrong precedence, particularly given how excited politicians can be when they hear that there are easy solutions that don't require them to really do some corrective actions in relation to how they manage their uh, spend in different departments. So I think it does have long-term effects that we need to be careful about before we celebrate it. Speaking of long-term effects, uh, the minister forecasted that growth over the three years uh, or averaging over the next three years would be uh, at around 1.6% average, which we looked at as um, one point, I think it was 1.4%, 1.7% and 1.8% growth uh, in each of the following years, including this year, uh, to get to that 1.6% average. Uh, Prof. Seville, is that realistic? Well, I think first problem that I have to highlight is that I hate the English associated with this narrative because the reality here is that South Africa for the past 10 to 15 years 
has been regressing. And why that matters is that, what, what that simply means is that we have required growth that is much higher than what we've seen. We've had uh, many years in which basically we stood still as a country and in instances where we were going backwards. And I think probably one of the better reference points is the question of, well, if you're saying your economy is growing by 0.6%, for example, well, if your population is growing at a rate that's higher than that, and it simply means that whoever enters the country as a citizen is poorer than the people that entered before. So the decline in the GDP per capita reflects the fact that our growth, whether it's 0.6% or 1.6%, doesn't match the scale of what it needs to be in order for at least for us to at least keep up with where we are and where we used to be. And the problem here is that, unfortunately, the mathematics indicate to you that if you had no progress yesterday and today you move one step forward, it is growth because you've moved one step forward. The fact that around you circumstances require you to move steps forward becomes a secondary uh, measure. And I think that the, the, the problem with that is that even at 1.6%, we are still not even at the level where we need to be in, in relation to the different socioeconomic dynamics of the country that we live in and the different demands. And obviously, a lot of things that we have to deal with are determined by exogenous factors. So if you look at the cost of living crisis, for example, it has very little to do with what the South African circumstances were, but what the international geopolitics of the day are. So when you then look at those particular things, it is difficult to find any positive to a number that says 0.6 or even 1.6%, because then the question is, well, even if we grow at that level, does that mean that the unemployment numbers we saw yesterday, for example, are being addressed? Does it mean that we start investing into the future of our society so that we actually then have a very clear and a linear understanding of if we spend so much on this particular item, it has still an impact on our long-term GDP growth? Right now, it just feels like we wait for state to say to tell us, the politicians wait for state to say to tell us, so we're more reactive rather than proactively managing the economy to say, for an economy of this scale, for a society of with these particular needs, this is the growth that's required to get us there, and that's how we're getting there. So these projections have fast lost relevance in the sense that they are simply just, as some, some people call them, they're just numbers that do not address the underlying issues of what is the right number to be growing at and what do we need to go in order them and I can tell you now it's not it's not 0.6 and it's definitely not 1.6 regardless of what the minister or the IMF or the World Bank may predict it's not the numbers that we need absolutely there uh, Prof Seville, uh perhaps you can jump in here on the numbers as well uh, I had a conversation with Edward Kiesvetter commissioner at SARS uh, around the tax buoyancy ratio uh, basically effectively saying that that ratio at 1.1% means that we are um, col- we're collecting taxes at a rate faster than the economy is growing and that's not a good thing because the economy is not growing which is something that uh, Kaya just alluded to uh, your thoughts on these numbers and the realistic expectations uh, that have been put forward here uh, yeah so Jimmy you know I think the uh, you know the tax buoyancy helps uh, in terms of evidencing discipline in uh, one of our core institutions or our core economic institutions uh, in uh, the revenue services um, uh, the you know the big however and Kaya alludes to this is that uh, not only is the growth number uh, hopelessly low, uh, it's uh, it 
it's uh, it's missing uh, the critical ingredient of being transformative. So even if the economy were to grow quickly, um, it's not really an economy that establishes jobs or new businesses. It tends to be a rinse and repeat economy, uh, pointing to the deep, deep structural problems that are well entrenched. Um, and there's been some uh, rather animated and you know, positive response to to this budget, talking about an election year budget and so on. Um, my frustration with this budget is not only does it evidence a, uh, an administration that is out of ideas and lacks ambition and discipline, uh, but they've now turned to uh, you know seriously rearranging the furniture uh, in the way that they've turned to uh, the Reserve Bank account. So uh, you know tax buoyancy is a facet. It's a positive number that we can point to that you've got the strong institution but in the same breath uh, we have what I would venture is a raid on one of our critical um, uh, economic and institutional strengths. Profitable, I'm going to stick with you for a second. There was another account that uh, caught my attention that I haven't heard of before is the criminal asset recovery account which we seemed to uh, government announced that they will be using almost 3 billion rand from that account uh, to combat illegal mining and other priority crimes. I uh, asked the National Treasury Director General about that amount and how much sits in that amount following or will sit following this 3 billion rand withdrawal. And the answer I was given was we don't really we can't really give an amount because it's a it's a fluctuating amount. It has deposits and mm. withdrawals all the time. Firstly, is this something that we should be looking into. I mean, um, this account is supposedly from the recovery of uh, illicit activities or from the work that the likes of the NPA and the Hawks put together. But yes, how do yes. we make sense of uh, a 3 billion rand withdrawal? I mean, granted, <laughs> it was said one 1.7 billion of that is going to the police. Um, how do we reflect on that? Well, you know, I mean, that's, uh, to my mind, that would be the exact uh, type of place that you should be going for uh, for assets. You know, that evidences uh, commitment to uh, addressing the the ills and the ailment, uh, ailments of the economy. Uh, that number, we know, is an absolute drop in the ocean uh, compared to uh, the, the size of the, uh, the assets that have been uh, steadily shifted um, from the public sector into uh, private uh, bank accounts and offshore over over the years so it's an absolute drop in the ocean however you know let me not be too disparaging um that's exactly the type of commitment that we need to see in terms of uh holding people to account um getting people into orange overalls uh and then evidencing uh the uh, the prosecuting capacity and the strength of our judicial system so that is a nudge in the right direction however you know read against the greater backdrop it's just not enough to remove my grumpiness. <laughs> Let's see if we can uh, tackle that grumpiness with the multinational corporations. <laughs> um, Sanisha, I'd like you to come in at this point. Um, the multinational corporations, uh, there's an uh, initiative, a new global initiative that South Africa is a part of that aims to um, collect a minimum effective tax rate of at least 15% from all multinational corporations, regardless of where they conduct their operations. So the likes of um, Richmond, who would have... Uh, businesses outside of South Africa and operate mainly in Switzerland, for example, uh, would be subject to this if they are paying lower than the effective tax rate, but also South African companies that operate within South Africa. Your reflections on this from a corporate tax perspective as well, we we went through a reduction in corporate tax from, I think, 28% to down to 27%, uh, but this is supposedly uh, going to add 8 billion rand in corporate tax revenue um, in 2026-2027. 
thanks so much for having me. Um, so if we look at some of the revenue tax proposals that came through, I think, you know, the larger chunk really did come through on your uh, bracket creep and not fully adjusting for inflation on your medical tax credits. I think that, you know, we do have a, a couple of fillers, such as um, the tax that you're mentioning right now. We know that it is part of a bigger project, the base erosion and profit shifting mechanism to start taking hold in the South African economy. And we've heard on a number of occasions that we are in an economy with a lot of pressure on the tax base. And as a result, we need to look for avenues where we can close tax loopholes and we can start to garner more efficiencies from the tax system. And I believe that this is one step in the right direction in order to do so. I think to you know expect massive amounts of taxes to come through in addition to what we're already getting on personal income taxes, corporate income taxes, and value-added taxes, which is about 80% of our total uh, revenue base from the tax side, uh, is a little bit difficult in an economy that's barely growing, which was touched on by both of my colleagues. So in that light, we need to start looking for mechanisms to close the existing tax loopholes to increase the administrative effects of tax administration in order to collect further revenues in a slow-growing environment. Sanisha, what would you rate the budget out of 10? I know I'm going to get a different rating from uh, the grumpy professor as well as from the disappointed Kaya, but what's your rating out of 10? You know, I would say that the rating sits somewhere between a 6 and 7 out of 10, um, I'm a little bit nervous to give it a seven because I think that the use of the Jafekra funds could have been better allocated. I think it was an opportunity to allocate that to capital spending, which would have fostered a higher level of trend growth further out. However, quite a lot of those Jafekra funds have actually been used in order to bring down the debt ratio further out. And we know that the debt ratio had climbed relative to previous assumptions on the back of the additional amount that was given to the civil servant workers. So we are basically funding recurrent expenditure rather than allocating that to capital expenditure, which can promote longer term growth. I think the use of those funds could have been better allocated. And I think we, we're starting to see a bit of a shift in, in market sentiment around that. Initially, the currency markets you know, reacted quite positively to the fact that the debt ratio was coming down, the fiscal deficit was looking a lot smaller. However, now that we've baked in where the Jafekra funds are effectively being allocated and there could have been a better use for that, I think there is some nervousness around you know, longer-term financing strategies. As we know, the Jafekra needs to keep a buffer in place because of valuation changes in the currency because of the interest payment that now needs to be done on those excess reserves. And so once that is used up, or if the currency moves in an opposite direction, in other words, the currency strengthens, we know that the buffer then actually has to increase in that account. And that doesn't really leave us with a very viable long-term financing option in our view. Prof. Civil, between 1 and 10, where are we? Uh, I'm going to be a little more cheerful than uh, you're inferring, um, but uh, <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't mind uh, Sanisha to come and score my cooking next time if she's giving sixes <laughs> and sevens out. <laughs> um, but um, what I take um, a direction from is uh, the currency and the bond market. Um, and if you take the RAND, uh, it, uh, it initially uh, responded rather cheerfully uh, and then reversed uh, a lot of that uh, cheer and essentially finished the, the the reading of the budget where it had started. So I'm going to square it out at five. 
That's an that's a very balanced number that you're giving there, um, Kaya. <laughs> as we close off uh, the show, um, what's your rating on the budget? Look, I'd say it's a six. It was a safe budget in the sense that the minister, obviously, we cannot deny the fact that he's a politician with an eye on how to avoid a political fallout from the budget. So he tried to balance those. But I do think that obviously for me, the greatest anxiety is that the 150 billion rand is not being invested into the future, but really to pay for the sins of the past. And I think the problem is that the things that led us here will repeat themselves. And the simple question is, what will the solution be in the future? So, yeah, it could have been better, <laughs> but hey, we have to acknowledge the, the, the complexities and the trade-offs associated with what he has to do today. And with that, I'd like to thank all of my guests, Kaya Sutole, Sanisha Pakirisami, as well as Professor Adrian Seville, for their time, their insights, their thoughts, and their opinions. It's gone at 7 o'clock, which means it's time to cross back to Greg Host for the latest in SAFM News. And that's the end of our show. From my side, it's going to be good night, but I'll speak to you tomorrow. You've been listening to another MoneyWeb SAFM Market Update podcast, uploaded weekdays at 7 p.m. For more MoneyWeb podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.